Welcome to Kauaian Cafe, where every sip serves a tale, and every tale weaves the bamboo heartbeat of the Philippines. This is Rika, your host. Dive in as we unfold the lush stories and sustainable trails of our beloved bamboo landscapes. Let's start with background, sir. Can you just briefly tell us how you started with bamboo? Okay, it all started sometime in 2005. I was practically forced to go to China to represent the Philippines in a uh, area in what they call Sejiang province, which is a bamboo province, one of the bamboo provinces of China. There is a lake, there's small lake. It was so dirty, nothing there. They so they put all the shoreline, all of it, around the watershed, in other words, with bamboo. After that, after so many years, the water uh, became clear, and then people started to use the uh, bamboo available as means of livelihood by uh, cutting it and sending it to the factories. And that's how I started to appreciate and love the potentials of bamboo. And I said, in the Philippines, we don't, you know, take it for granted. So I said, okay, I'll just bring it to the Philippines. Uh, we'll see. Since I am a watershed manager at that time, I said, this is very important for me to be able to educate people in having this bamboo as a very quick uh, solution, uh, planting solution to cover uh, the forested area of the watershed. That is how it all started. Then after that, uh, the uh, Chinese government sent me invitations to go there for one-month workshop, and it, 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 it became a regular thing every three years. So when I, I, I understood it, I said we better bring this to the Philippines because I saw the lives of people in the provinces in China improve a lot, a lot. And I said we can do this in the Philippines. That's how it all started. So basically when you started, you were doing it because it was part of your job. It was part of the job, but I don't know anything about bamboo. I don't know anything about bamboo. And from there, I said, okay, I might well, as well uh, read about bamboo, uh, converse with experts in, 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 in the academia, like the researchers, uh, like Dr. Bertuccio, Dr. Tesoro, Dr. Lapis, Dr. Palihot. So I was getting all the information already. And I was get, you know, I'm hooked with this and saying this is the plant, the miracle plant, and I always call it the grass of hope. But the reason why we publish a book called the grass of hope. A, a, this is a beginner's reference book for people who want to go into bamboo. So, Sir Kaid, hindi na siya part ng jobs. You're still going around uh, the whole Philippines promoting and advocating bamboo. Yeah, because I think with no government agents in the Philippines doing it, none, none. I said I have to do it as a... Basically, a service uh, as a government official at that time, I said, might as well do it. And maybe some government agencies will take it from there. Yeah. 
Because to me, bamboo education is the key. The basic key to be able to improve our understanding of bamboo and be able to improve the, uh, the people in the provinces. That is what I call poverty alleviation. So in the 20 years that you've been doing this, can you name some of the key challenges that you've encountered? Okay, the key challenges, number one, uh, in the in the agency, in the institutional, in the institution, nobody, nobody in the government is taking this an advocacy. I found out that foresters have no subject on bamboo because I found out it's a grass, tourist grass. Number two, it's a minor forest product. Now they have classified it as a non-timber forest product. So I said, oh, if nobody's taking care of this, oh, I might as well do it. I said, not because So that's how I started doing this. And then you challenge, how, how did you overcome? I overcome this when people started appreciating it, and I now get some help from other people, from the private sector, encouraging me to go, 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 and do this. And finally, when we have this, during the time of the end term of President Arroyo, uh, she decided, and we were lobbying for it, she decided to, uh, to sign an executive order. They call it Executive Order 879, creating the Philippine Bamboo Industry Development Council under the DTI. Then when I left the government, uh, I was invited as a regular member of the council, representing the private sector and the NGO. That is where I started giving all the inputs from my field work to some of the government agencies. That's how it started. So you've been going around all over the Philippines doing projects. Can you name one or a couple of projects that are most memorable to you, and why does it uh, why why does it stand out for you? Number one, uh, what is the mo one of the most memorable projects is the Lubao Eco Park. It started with nobody, nobody uh, trying to uh, help and develop it as an eco-park. After three, four years when the bamboo started to grow, that is when people started recognizing it. And then we were able to attract uh, help uh, from the government agency, the mayor, and so many other people, the TI, they were, were trying to help. Uh, we spent so much time, uh, our effort, in trying to do that as a benchmark uh, facility for everybody to understand. Because here in the Philippines, it's always, oh, it's to believe. That is one. The second project is the Bamboo Sanctuary in Baguio. That is really very challenging because we felt at the time that Baguio Benguet needs this plant to prevent soil erosion, landslide. You see the terrain of Benguet so steep. And we said that this monopodial bamboo, this is very invasive, and the roots really travel uh, horizontally, two kilometers, three kilometers, and it binds loose soil. So we got this uh, technical 
information from our Chinese mentors. So I said, okay, let's see and try to get some species from China. And we started growing it, and after so many years, it was pleasantly said, oh, wow, this is something. So when it grew, the bamboo, uh, several species that we had, it looks like when you go inside, it looks like as if you were in China, forest, or as if you're in Kyoto, Japan. And now it became a learning center for students so to understand what is climate change. Because when you talk to students of climate change, it's always vague, vague. Nothing to see, nothing to hold on. So I said, this is it. We bring in the students, explain the function of this, carbon sequestration, soil erosion, then we show them this is the road system. We travel so many uh, kilometers away and it buys the soil. Therefore, you can prevent soil erosion in many parts of Baguio, especially in Kenan Road. Now, I'm happy that finally the City Council of Baguio recognized it. And now they are giving us the assignment to provide more, more technical input so that they will be able to do this in a particular project, I think somewhere in the middle of Baguio. So it became a very memorable project to us. The objective really is for us to show the people in government, the NGOs that, hey, guys, look at this. This is the solution to our erosion here in Baguio Benguet area. And finally, I said, the people in the Baguio City uh, Council uh, recognize it. And we're going back there uh, every now so often to have some legal document to sign for, for this project. So you've mentioned um, soil erosion or soil stabilization as one of the environmental um, advantages of bamboo. Can you name other things uh, in terms of sustainability, livelihood, how bamboo can benefit? In your experience, how have you seen it uh, change people's lives in a positive direction? Okay, uh, that's good because with the continuing education of bamboo, it encompasses so many things. Climate change, livelihood, poverty alleviation, and so many things. If you're familiar with the United Nations SDGs that they call Sustainable Development Goals, we probably cover about seven or ten of those. Now, uh, that is why the sustainability factor is very important because as you know, a bamboo grows and grows even if you cut it, it grows and grows and grows. Every year you you can harvest, you can do so many things. Unlike trees, you have to plant and wait for probably 10, 15 years, 20 years to use it. This plant is not. You only uh, plant once and for the next several years. 30 years, 50 years, you will harvest in the same plant, in the same plant. So that is the sustainability factor. Now, in the environmental uh, factor, the climate change, for example, the one hectare of bamboo plantation captures 60% of carbon dioxide. Then inversely, it produces 35% more oxygen. So the trees doesn't do that. 
it is the, but although the trees also function as a carbon sequestrator and oxygen generator, but bamboo is better. So that's a, a very good uh, way of saying, oh, guys, look at this bamboo. So uh, I'm saying, telling everybody, we are not monocropping because biodiversity to us is very important. Look at the areas where there is so much land uh, wasted, nothing there, all grass, and nobody taking care of it. This is the plant that will take care of it. In the watershed areas in the Philippines, uh, Sierra Madre, watershed of Laguna de Bay, then you have problems with what? Illegal lagging, cutting of trees, for charcoal making. So what do you do? You introduce this as an alternative to them. When you have an alternative, they have a better way of making money out of it. Then you, have, you, you do not break the law, you make more money in this, and then you improve their uh, living conditions. Because I've seen it, the worst living conditions. When I see these people in the watershed. So you teach them, you know, uh, reforestation, uh, bamboo as a commodity that will help you a lot. And also hygiene, sanitation, everything. When you go and uh, engage these people. So when you have this commodity with you, you bring with you something so they can sit and they can touch. Instead of going there just saying, okay, we will send with, conduct a seminar, give you an alternative. This is something that you can immediately tell them. Oh, you have several resources here. This is money. You just have to uh, learn the skills how to do it. That is what we're doing. And we are successful in uh, the Marikina watershed and then the Ipodam watershed so far. So we want to duplicate it in many areas. That's how I look at bamboo. It's doing so many wonderful things. So you've named the sustainability aspect, the environmental aspect, and then you, you have community involvement. And basically what we've been discussing is to propel a successful bamboo project, you really need community involvement. And when you say them, that means the community, right? So can you tell us um, maybe just one secret or you know one you know one tip on how to get started in getting the community involved or inspired to join in okay look for communities that needs this it's easy it's easy target the watershed communities that is one because it's easier if you go to the urban centers near the watershed it's impossible to bring them in and uh, make this as a project. The watershed communities is the best group that you can engage because you can get the support of the politicians, you can get the support of the companies, private companies, to be partners in this community engagement using bamboo as a commodity. So when you do that, just go there and assess because as I said, and we learned so many things from some mentors that you have to ask them, what do you want? What is your aspiration? So when you do that, when you do the scanning of the environment and they say, we need 
uh, another livelihood. Then you can immediately tell, oh, so many resources that you have. Now we can, you want us to teach you how the skills so that you can make money? That is the best way to do it. Now, what about the funding? Funding is all critical. There is money. For as long as you know the key persons to be partner in this uh, project. Uh, the politicians, the governor, the congressmen, now that they are so appreciative and they recognize this as a very important project, it's easy for them to, to fund. Because what is... 100,000, 150,000 for the initial, and you conduct the skills, that will multiply you know, the benefits so many times. And when they see that it's working, they can put more funds, put more funds and increase, multiply, uh, get more communities to get involved. And then you develop your own raw material supply, because that is the essence of the industry development. You have to have a sustainable raw material supply. In doing that, you are not forcing them. So that's the way of teaching them. This is how to introduce and make more money. So that is, I think, the learning process that we got is over the years that we have been doing this in many areas of the country. You know, you have to adjust. Adjust. Me, I, you know. You are a Manila grown boy, you, you, the ways and lifestyle of people in Manila is so different in other parts of the country, but you have to adjust. You have to, to learn to adjust, and I, I learned so many things about that. Instantly, I can adjust to them, instantly. And that is the way of telling the guys, I'm one of you. You build the confidence in saying, okay, sir, uh, maybe you can help. That is a way of communicating. It's a two-way communication. It's always. When you that you have that uh, two-way communication, now you can uh, dissect. What are the other things that they need? No. For as long as you have the anchor project, bamboo is the anchor. Always go back to that. That's the way to do this. Obviously, you've been around the bamboo industry for 20 years. You've seen the way it has changed from when you started to now. Where do you think now, looking to the future, where do you see the future of bamboo head heading? The bamboo is heading to a huge demand. Huge demand. In terms of, let us look at the construction industry. Not only that, the uh, what I call a landscape industry. And then you have other industries that will need replacement of plastics using bamboo. That is how I see it. So the huge, huge demand will come in. I think in the next two or three years, not five years or ten, it will be a short, short period where you have a sudden, sudden surge of demand for bamboo. Now we are, we are 
observing the, the shortage of bamboo. There is already a shortage of bamboo. Nice. Are you, um, do you feel that now you've been doing it for so long, um, do you ever sometimes feel like you're getting tired of it or no, you're No, not at all. I have to push, push, and push, and push. Now that people are getting interested, you have to consistently do it. I continue, continue pushing, pushing until the such time that you're probably what I call a dipping point. Everybody does it. Now you can probably say, okay, everybody knows it. We have uh, activators to do it. Then you can say, okay, I will, I will now, I can now retire. Happily. I don't think you will. <laughs> what, so, what, where is the motivation? What, what is, what is your motivation to keep going? The motivation to me is say, you know, the Philippines in the rural areas. I've seen it. I've seen the poverty. You know, when I compare it to what we have here in Manila, Sabiko, uh, we have to help people there. They have to be part of the. Uh, what I call the development, uh, the wealth, distribution of wealth, not only here in the centers, but also spread it all over. And this is the commodity. Because from here, it all, everything will follow. Everything will follow. The motivation is for us, for me especially, to look at people in the provinces to have a decent house, maybe bamboo and cement technology. Uh, because if you have a decent house, the confidence is different. It's different. No. And then they are more capable of communicating with you, their needs. No. And then they're able to form their organizations. Uh, the way they were doing it in, in, in the urban centers. And then they can now have a lobby group. That is the best thing to do for people to understand, hey, the power is here in the provinces. We are your grassroots. And you have to take care of the grassroots. So imagine, farmers, rice farmers. I'll digress a bit. Rice farmers. They are producing the food, but they can afford. Can they afford the best variety? No, they cannot. They, can they afford other things that some urban guys are uh, having? No, they cannot. It's a food producers, but they are so poor. If you go and see the people in the mountains, oh, you will cry. Because how can they survive? No sanitation, dilapidated uh, uh, house, or no house at all. Just leaves from branches and sheets of metal. So that's the way, because you can, you know, then you can prevent these uh, rebel groups you know, from, you know, uh, multiplying because they share the wealth of what they have here in the urban centers. You know. Maybe it's maybe the, my education, my upbringing perhaps, and my exposure to civic organizations like Rotary. Kasi kami, service above self, siyempre. In many schools, karamihan, palaging service, man for others, mga ganyan. No? So, pwede mo naman, you can embrace that naman. As a citizen, 
Me, I'm almost boarding. <laughs> But you have to have a legacy. Yes. No, legacy is very important. So this is your legacy. Oh, yes. And yes. so now, for my last question, um, what impact do you hope to leave through your work with bamboo? The impact is for the people to understand that bamboo should no longer be underrated as a foremost timber. It's no longer a foremost timber. When people realize that that is a, a not a foremost timber, but more of a, uh, what I say, a high value then you have the legacy, the impact of the, the people around all over the Philippines, no? That is important. We are, our bamboo is in our DNA. So, might as well, you know, develop it. So, that is the impact. People should understand it's no longer a formal timber. It is more of a wealth generator for many people. Thank you so much for your service, Sir Ed. Welcome. Okay. Thank you for joining us on Kauaian Cafe. Let's not just admire bamboo, let's live it. Remember to subscribe, spread the word, and leave us some insights. Till next time, bamboo high!